This is a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. Good morning. It's great to be uh, preaching this morning. Uh, We're continuing our series on the Holy Spirit, uh, and it's, uh, it's a big topic. I mean, you know, it's like, It's a little bit like having a a sermon series about Jesus. You know, you could just go all year, or or, or God, right? Uh, The Holy Spirit is similar, uh, being the third person of the Trinity. Uh, So we're trying to kind of do an overview, uh, which is still taking a whole term. um, But really, the Holy Spirit is someone who we preach about all the time. Uh, And this morning, we're in the book of John, uh, which is one of my favorite parts of the Bible to be in, uh, not just because it's my name, um, but also uh, because uh, it's, it's just wonderful. Uh, I really love, you, you guys know, I've been here about four months now, you know me, I love the Bible, um, and I love the way that John has written his account of the life of Jesus. Uh, he takes a completely different approach to that than Matthew or Mark or Luke. Um, he, he's mixed things around, doesn't really follow chronology properly, um, and, and really has kind of the, the heart of a poet uh, in the way that he structures things and the way that he tells the stories um, of the life of Jesus. So, got a clicker for this. Click. Um, I can't see my slides there. I have to keep turning around. All right, so. Uh, This morning we're in chapter 3, and I'm going to break with tradition, and I'm going to read the Bible reading. Controversial. Uh, John chapter 3, and I'm going to read verses 1 to 21. And you can listen, and maybe, actually, if you have a Bible, you can read along. I'm not against that. But you might just want to listen, and just imagine the scene playing out like it's a, a movie. Now, there was a Pharisee a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You shouldn't be surprised at me saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, We speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. 
Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light, because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be, may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. So Nicodemus is a Pharisee, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He's a Bible nerd, a Bible scholar, a, a Bible teacher, a lecturer, a highly respected man in his town. Uh, he is the religious guy. Uh, everyone would look up to him. Uh, everyone would speak well of him. Uh, he would be a very kind of high status person. We don't have a particularly status-centric society in Australia. Uh, we're pretty egalitarian. We, we like to kind of just call everyone mate. Uh, but in ancient Israel, uh, in Palestine in the first century, in the time of Jesus, they were very status-oriented, and Nicodemus was at the top of the pile. And he comes to Jesus at night. Now, John, I said before, he's got kind of the heart of a poet in the way that he tells the story. And so, if there is a detail that he chooses to include in the story, it's there for a reason. I don't doubt that this happened at night time. But John wants us, the reader, to know that it happened at night time. He thinks that's a significant detail. So you have to ask, why? Who cares? Nighttime, daytime doesn't make any difference, right? Well, I've got a couple of ideas. Maybe John wants us to know that Nicodemus is in the dark, spiritually speaking. Uh, that he comes to Jesus from a dark kind of space. Not necessarily like dark as in evil, just dark as in ignorant and not knowing and not understanding. Uh, or maybe, um, you know, there's a, maybe there is a kind of spiritually dark thing. Uh, because the other time a similar phrase is used is 10 chapters later, in chapter 13, uh, when Judas famously leaves the, the other disciples at the table and he goes out to go and tell the religious leaders where Jesus is and get him arrested and killed. And the phrase John uses there in uh, John 13.30 is to say that Judas went out into the night. And so there's this kind of mirror image, 10 chapters apart, of someone coming in from the night to talk to Jesus and someone else going out into the night to betray Jesus. Uh, and maybe they're kind of, there's a mirroring intentional mirroring there uh, that John's getting at. But anyway, 
he comes to Jesus uh, and his opening statement goes like this. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. That's a pretty, it's a pretty encouraging opening statement. Uh, maybe it's kind of a traditional sort of opening line, a, a kind of formal piece of flattery to kind of introduce them, himself to Jesus and get get off on the right foot. Uh, and, and he wants to sort of say, I and, and my friends, my fellow Pharisees, I acknowledge you are special. Now, the question is, does that make him a believer in Jesus? Have a think about it. We know you are a teacher who has come from God. No one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. He's acknowledging that Jesus is from God. He's, he's acknowledging that God is with Jesus. He's seen the signs. Um, those signs are, are the miracles. You know, all those miracles that Jesus does. Um, there are a bunch of them uh, in the Gospels. Uh, the healings and the, the feedings of crowds and all that kind of stuff. Um, as I said before, we don't really know with John chronologically when this conversation happened in the story of Jesus' life. I know it's in chapter 3, so you kind of go, oh, it must be early on, but John mixes, and mixes things around a little bit. So maybe Jesus has done a few more miracles than John's already told us about as the reader. Um, but anyway, whatever miracles that Nicodemus has witnessed, are they enough to make him a believer in Jesus? Well, I would say no. Many people saw the miracles that Jesus did and chose not to believe in him. They believed there was something special about him. They believed that the miracles were happening. They just didn't believe that Jesus was the Son of God. They didn't put their trust in him. There's kind of two different kinds of believing going on here. Um, I, I met a guy years and years ago, um, let's call him Nick for symmetry's sake, um, the modern Nick, Nicodemus number two. Um, Nick, Nick was a teenager on a camp, I was, I was the speaker on this camp, uh, and he was a teenager on the camp, uh, and I was, every morning, I would get up and I would speak to the youth kids on the camp um, about Jesus, uh, and they would listen. They were good kids. They listened well. Um, and this guy, Nick, he wasn't a Christian, and he was the first person to tell you that. Uh, he was just on the camp because his friends were there, and he came up to me uh, towards the end of camp and said, I really liked your talks. And I said, oh, thanks, Nick. That's, that's a nice thing to say. You know, you're well brought up. Um, and we kind of had this chat back and forth, and it turns out that he was skeptical about Jesus coming to the camp at the start. And after hearing my talks, he said, you know what, I think there's more to this than I thought there was. I think that there is actually something real here. Uh, you've convinced me. And I was like, awesome. Do you want to become a Christian? And he said, no. 
disappointing. This was going to be a good, a good story, wasn't it? He said that he was unwilling, not unconvinced. He, could, he, he acknowledged that. It was a strange conversation. I don't think I've ever had that conversation before or since, that someone could honestly say, I am convinced, but I'm unwilling. And I thought, I don't know what to say to that. What do you say next? You, you acknowledge that Jesus is, was real, that he really died on a cross, that he really rose again, but you don't want to follow him. You don't want to become a Christian. Nick wanted to live his own life his own way. He wanted to party hard and have fun. He was in year 12. He had his whole life ahead of him, and he didn't want that life ahead of him to be Christian. He didn't want to go that way. He felt like it was too much to give up. I don't really remember exactly what I said in response to that. Uh, It's sort of, what do you say? But I actually think that Jesus gives us an example here of something I could have said. This is what he said to his Nick. There it is on the screen. Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. It's pretty cryptic. It's kind of a strange thing to say. Uh, if, you, if you think about what Jesus just said, what, what Nicodemus just said, and then look at what Jesus says in response, can you join those dots? What's going on here? You know, you're a teacher who's come from God. No one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with him. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. What does that have to do with anything? What does he mean by that? Well, I think what he's getting at is he's saying, you might see the signs you might acknowledge that there's something going on here, that I am from God, that God is with me, that, that there's something spiritual happening, but you can't see the kingdom of God. You can see a miracle worker, you can see that God is doing something, but you can't see the thing, the kingdom of God thing. Um... Nicodemus has no idea what's going on. (laughs) Quite amusingly, he asks, how can someone be born when they're old? Surely they can't enter a second time into their mother's womb. And so Jesus says it again. And he rephrases it slightly, which might help us a bit. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. So somehow, seeing the kingdom of God and entering the kingdom of God are a matching pair. They're kind of two ways of saying the same thing. Uh, And then, being born again and being born of water in the Spirit are two ways of saying the same thing again. Um, So let's start by thinking about what does he mean by being born again? Uh, It's something to do with this. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. Spirit gives birth to spirit. There's a spiritual birth that happens when the Holy Spirit comes on the scene. 
Uh, I could have used this on Mother's Day for another one of my examples of a, a kind of maternal image again. This time we've got the Holy Spirit giving birth. Um, I, I held it back because I knew I was going to be preaching on it again today. Uh, but that's a whole tangent. We won't get into that again. But the point here that Jesus is making is that there's something that has to happen to you spiritually to enter the kingdom of God. I think sometimes we think that the thing that has to happen for you to become a Christian happens in your head. You have to be convinced. You have to, you have, to have all your questions answered. You have to have the knockdown argument that says, I don't have a, a leg to stand on. I'm convinced. I'm utterly convinced. You've talked me into it. I'm going to be a Christian now. And what Jesus is saying is, actually, something spiritual has to happen. The Holy Spirit has to start you off into a new life. That's what birth is, isn't it? Birth is starting a life. And Jesus is saying you need to start a new spiritual life, a second life, a life born of the Spirit, a life that looks like this. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Does that describe your life? If, you're, if you are a Christian, if you have been born of the Spirit, does that feel familiar in any way? It's pretty cryptic, isn't it? Anyone just kind of going, I'm just confused. <laughs> what is he getting at? What's this thing about the wind and the blowing here and there and everywhere? He's being cryptic. Um, the word wind and the word spirit are the same word. So it's, it's a pun. It's a play on words. Um, that's the connection that you need to know first. Um, so Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit, and then he says the wind blows wherever it pleases. He's saying, here's a good metaphor that's kind of embedded in the word already. You want to know what, it, what the Spirit is like? Just look at the wind. Oh, wait, you can't. Right? You can't see the wind. You can see the effects of the wind as the trees bend. You can see what the wind is doing as things get blown around, but you can't see the wind itself. And you can't tell where it's come from, and you can't tell where it's going. It just is. It just happens. So it is with the birth in the Spirit. That was kind of my experience. Uh, back a long time ago, last millennium, uh, 1999-ish, I became a Christian, I think. It was somewhere around then, maybe it was the year 2000, maybe it was 2001, I'm not really sure. Somewhere in that three-year period, I went from being not a Christian to definitely a Christian, and I don't know exactly when that was. I know some of you sitting here are going, well, I can tell you the exact day and time. I was at a Billy Graham crusade and someone, you know, Billy got up and he said, if you want to be a Christian, come down the front and I can tell you the day and the time when I prayed that prayer and I became a Christian. That's awesome. That's not my story. In my story, I went on a Christian camp and some youth pastor got up and explained the gospel to me and I thought, that sounds pretty great. I'd like some of that. And I, I prayed, and I think that's the first time I kind of prayed, but I don't really know if I got what I was doing and didn't really make total sense to me. 
and my life didn't change at all. Nothing happened, really. It was, it's kind of like a, I can tell you that the wind blew, except the trees didn't bend. There was no after effect. And really, my life didn't start to change for a couple of years. And then I don't really know what happened a couple of years later. There wasn't a big moment I can point to. It wasn't a camp I went to and someone got me to pray a prayer. But somewhere along the line, I kind of went, all right, God, I'm in now. It's real now. Let's do this. And I really got on board. The other way of thinking of the whole spirit is a wind blowing thing uh, is what the theologian Tom Wright thinks, is that the, the idea is that the Holy Spirit is a wind that messes things up or appears to. Like opening a window on a windy day and having the wind blow in and all of your papers on your table get spread out and blown around. And there's this idea that uh, in the old times with people like Nicodemus and these Pharisees running the show, religion was organized. And in the new way, with the spirit, it's disorganized. And everyone gets to play. And there isn't this level of status you need or this level of education you need. You just need to be born again of the spirit. And that knocks Nicodemus off his pedestal. He can't be in charge anymore. I like that idea too. Um, I don't really know. Maybe it's a bit of both. But certainly there's something fresh and new that God does. At this time with Jesus, uh, or maybe at Pentecost, we're going to celebrate next week, where the wind comes in, the Spirit arrives, and a new thing happens. And for an individual, it's the same, that when you're born of the Spirit, a new thing happens begins a new life which brings us around to the other question what is the new thing what is this kingdom of god that jesus talks about what does he mean by that you kind of got to go back uh, and look at the second half of what we read uh, verse 10 onwards where jesus challenges nicodemus and says you're israel's teacher and you don't understand these things he says we have this testimony, we being Jesus and his Father, I guess, or maybe the Father and the Son and the Spirit, he has in mind. We testify to what we've seen and you won't accept it. And I'm speaking about these earthly things, about birth and about wind. You, you know about birth, you know about wind. How do you not get that? What if I stop speaking in metaphors and start telling you just the bare thing? You, you'll have even less idea of what's going on. This kingdom is this idea of Jesus bringing something of heaven to earth. You notice he, he talks about heaven suddenly. It's like, what did that have to do with anything? He says, uh, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man, which is a poetic way of saying me. I came from heaven. I can tell you heavenly things and he didn't just come down from heaven god born in the flesh he came to bring the kingdom of heaven 
to make God truly king. And to see the kingdom is to receive this love, the love of God in Jesus. Salvation, not condemnation. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only son. And remember that believing in is not just being convinced by. It's a heart thing. It's a spirit thing. So to see the kingdom is to receive that love, to receive that salvation, to enter the kingdom is to live that eternal life he talks about. I think sometimes when we read the word eternal life in that verse, we think about after you die. That's not what Jesus means. He's talking about a life lived now and on into eternity. See, the kingdom is to have the light of Jesus. He says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. People love the darkness. They love the world. They love themselves. They love to be in control. They love to keep their secrets. Or maybe they don't love their secrets. Maybe they're just ashamed of their secrets and afraid. And it's all too hard. And somehow it doesn't seem worth it. And it holds them back. What do you do? How do you come into the light when the light is terrifying? How do you step into what Jesus is offering? No matter how good it sounds, it sounds hard. It sounds exposing. It sounds scary. How do you get there? You must be born again born of water and the spirit to enter the kingdom of God to receive all that Jesus is and does and offers to us we must be born of the spirit that is the first and chief work of the Holy Spirit the main thing the Holy Spirit is doing opening eyes, removing a heart of stone and putting in a heart of flesh, as John preached on a couple of weeks ago, confirming to us in our hearts the truth of the thing we might yet be convinced of in our heads or might not yet be convinced of, but somehow we know in our hearts anyway the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, there's a couple of things to say about that. Maybe you have experienced that. Maybe there's a moment 
in your life or maybe like me there's a couple of years of your life that you can point to and say that's when it all began that's when my heart came alive it's like the wind that you can't see where it comes from or where it's going and it's kind of crazy and chaotic and out of control and my life's been turned around turned upside down and made different and new or maybe you're just convinced like my mate Nick but there isn't anything in your heart there isn't anything in your life like I was between 1999 and 2001 where I couldn't see anything happening the wind wasn't blowing the trees around because it wasn't there has your life been changing? Does your heart long for things that you used to not long for? Are your desires conforming more and more to the desires that God has told us He has? What about your behavior? Are you, are you doing things that are a little bit more like the things Jesus does bit by bit i'm not saying like is your life perfect do you never sin that you this like glowing aura of wonderful christianness just are you can you see any progress on that journey are you moving in the right direction if you are that is a sign that the spirit's wind is blowing through your life the spirit should make you strange and unusual but in a good way uh, maybe not actually in a good way to everyone some people might find it frustrating or annoying or, or, or confusing or perplexing you might say things like very truly I tell you no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again when someone tells you they're not convinced about Jesus yet That'd be good, wouldn't it? I should have said that to Nick, shouldn't I? Anyway, um, but to be loving, to be forgiving, to be kind, to be good, to have those moments when your friend says to you, gee, that person treated you terribly, didn't they? You should cut them out of your life. And you say, no, I don't think I'm going to do that. And they're like, why? What's wrong with you? You're being a doormat. And you say, no, I'm, I'm being like Jesus. I'm going to forgive them again. Or to be someone who longs for justice. Uh, there's a lot of people in our world who, who long for a kind of justice. They want things to be fair, and they don't want to be treated unfairly. And they complain bitterly when they get the, the raw end of a deal, when someone's ripped them off, or the government hasn't given them their, their welfare payment they think they're owed, or whatever it is. But a Christian longs for justice for others, for justice for the world and not for themselves. Maybe in your heart you notice that you become more and more upset when things are bad, when things are wrong, that you're kind of grieved by evil. And not just that you're judgmental, because somebody else is doing the wrong thing, but you're grieved 
because you see it in yourself, in your own heart. I think it was C.S. Lewis uh, who first introduced me to the idea that if you're a Christian and you're being transformed by the Spirit, you should actually, in a way, kind of feel worse about yourself as you go along. Not that you're getting worse, but that you're noticing it more. Do you know what I mean? This kind of grieving in your spirit that things are not the way they should be. That we long for something different. Because we've started a new life that belongs to a different world. You won't be perfect overnight, and neither will your world. You will make mistakes, and it will grieve you. And you will long to be changed. And the world around you, your relationships, the people you connect with, your friends, your family, your acquaintances, strangers down the street, those relationships won't be perfect. And you'll long for that to be made new too, for the world to be changed. That's the kingdom of God. That is the place where God is on the throne, where God is the king, where he's getting his way. And it's now in our hearts by the Spirit, but it's also not yet. It's uncomfortable, and it's difficult, and it's costly but it's empowering and transforming and glorious. If you want that, if you've never had that and you want that, um, I'm going to pray a prayer now uh, for you. And if you've had that and you want more, I'm going to pray a prayer for you as well. So let's all pray uh, as the band come up. King Jesus, we acknowledge that you are the king of God's kingdom. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would stir in each heart here this morning. And for those of us who are feeling that heart stirring even now, Lord Jesus, open our eyes, help us to see, and Spirit, give us a new birth that we might start a new life with you. Our old life is broken and going the wrong way. We want that new life in you, Jesus. And for those of us who've been on that journey a long time, Holy Spirit, we welcome you to continue the work. We give over to you again our whole selves, even the secret parts that we're ashamed of. We give them over to you that you would transform us and change us and that we would be agents of change, spreading that kingdom change into the lives around us, into the world around us. Lord, that we would be different, that we would be made new by your Spirit, living an eternal life that begins here and now and goes on forever. We pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen. This has been a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. To continue the conversation, we invite you to join us Sundays at 9.30am and 5pm or on our website at www.nvbc.info.